Hey there, fellow travelers of the Junlin Wastes. Mark back here again for the Traveling the Junlin Wastes podcast, the TJW podcast for March 13th, 2023. It's good to be back here on the podcast. Uh, I know I've been a little uh, MIA lately, just so much stuff has been going on. I've been very busy lately, and I haven't really had a chance to sit down and be able to uh, record a podcast, but glad to be here today for this uh, coffee break, lunch break podcast here. Um, I wanted to bring up a couple things, but I know I'm short on time, so uh, today I'm going to mention and talk about uh, the latest the latest uh, episode of The Mandalorian, and that was The Minds of Mandalore, episode two for season three. Uh, I'll chat about Bad Batch on my next episode. Hopefully I'll get that out tomorrow before uh, the next episode of Bad Batch comes out. But uh, today I just wanted to, to, to bring up some of my thoughts regarding uh, The Mandalorian so far. So, like I said, this uh, second episode of The Mandalorian for Season 3 is called The Minds of Mandalore. Uh, just to, to you know, just put it out there, I absolutely loved this episode. There was something about it that just felt so incredibly Star Wars-y to me. Um, I'll mention a couple things here that I thought, uh, you know, you know struck, struck me as, as very interesting. Um, and then we can see in, a, in, in maybe in the larger picture of why I f- found this uh, episode so, so enticing. Uh, okay, so, uh, this, you know, one of the things I loved about, you know, I, I talk about how Bad Batch, they have these amazing, glorious opening shots that uh, Filoni puts in at the beginning of the Bad Batch. Uh, for Mandalorian, I, I felt like they did a little bit of the same here when we get to see Tatooine again. Um, and I love any time that we get to go to uh, Tatooine and see what's going on there in the timeline. Um, we are, of course, the Traveling the Jungle and Waste podcast. <laughs> so naturally, we, we, we gravitate towards the sands of Tatooine. But uh, it was great seeing Tatooine again, uh, and it's good to see that they had thrown in here into the uh, sort of into the in, into the saga a little bit, a revisiting of the Bunta Eve uh, festivities. Uh, we understand that I believe it to be a uh, you know a, a, a hut celebration or or some, maybe something similar to uh, to Mardi Gras that we know to today. You know, big big celebration around the entire city or around all of Mos Eisley. Uh, we get to see Pelimoto again. Uh, it was great to see Amy Sedaris uh, reclaim her role in as as Pelimoto, this uh, mechanic, this uh, you know sort of bit, you know sort of a, a mover and a shaker who, who 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 tries to do what she can to to make a buck in her uh, in her in in in, in, in her way. Uh, so we, we, we see the Mandalorian, you know, Dindajarin and and Grogu land on on Tatooine to visit her again. They're obviously are there to look for the uh, IG uh, part so that they can repair IG-11 so that uh, he'd be able to go with uh, Din Djarin, uh back to Mandalore so that they can make an assessment of the air quality and to see if it's even viable to get into Mandalore to reach the living waters there. But uh, she says that she doesn't have that piece. But she does have this great R2 unit, or an R5 unit, I should say. <laughs> How many out there were so thrilled to be able to see uh, R5-D4 uh, put into uh, this position? This is the first time I think that we have gotten this droid. While the droid certainly had a part in A New Hope, and we see that's the first droid that Luke decides to pick, and then the uh, 
his uh, his motivator blows, and then the, he trades that one in for R2-D2. But it was great to see R5-D4, a classic character, uh, having a piece of action in this, uh, in this episode. Um, one thing I did notice, you know, if you take a look closely at the top of the, uh, of the dome, or his semi-dome that R5-D4 has, I think you can see, if you just pause it at a certain point where you see the back and top of, his, of, of, of that dome on, on the droid, uh, you see a little singed area. And I think that if you if you make a nice little close up to that, you'll see it's almost like the scorch mark uh, still left there from the time when his uh, motivator blew out, and Luke was like, "This R two unit has a bad motivator. Look." Uh, so I thought that was fun. You know, nice little tiny little Easter egg there that you can see in the uh, in in this episode, bringing you back to the original trilogy. Uh, I loved seeing Grogu do his leap out of the cockpit <laughs> and and land into uh, into Peli's arms. Uh, she was great to see there too. Jawas, I was happy to see Jawas again. Oh my gosh! Anytime we can see Jawas, that is a lot of fun. So while uh, so while Din is not going to be able to get a piece for that IG for for IG eleven. Um, he does agree to take the uh, the R to take R five D four on his mission to Mandalore. Um, they get back into the cockpit of his ship and they fly off. And I love how Pelly says, you know, as he's lifting off, "May the Force be with you." Uh, it's been rare, and it hasn't been. It's been a while since we've heard uh, anyone wishing each other that full phrase of "May the Force be with you." So that was that was fun. Uh, I liked how Din Djarin, um, as he's talking to Grogu in the uh, the cockpit as he's heading towards Mandalore, of how much he really is steeped in his traditions, in his history, in uh, who he is as as a Mandalorian. Um, interestingly enough, we obviously know uh, from previous seasons that he's a foundling, that he was adopted by um, the, the the Mandalorians, uh, but he is he is he, he is so. It's as if he was all, if he was a natural, if he was a born uh, Mandalorian, you know, on its own. Uh, it's, it, I just find it very, very interesting how incredibly steeped he is in in the traditions and and almost like this very traditional outlook of the Mandalorians. Uh, they reach the ruins of Mandalore, and uh, as they sit, as they, they come into the planet and they land, um, the planet's in ruins. And when you see the ruins of Mandalore, uh, it, it sort of reminded me of like you know some type of environment that you would see in uh, you know Knights of the Old Republic or Knights of the Old Republic 2 video game. Um, as you're coming into this into this area here, reminds me. The reason I think I say Knights of the Old Republic is in that second Knights of the Old Republic video game, you get to go to uh, to, to certain planets that we saw in the first uh, Knights of the Old Republic, and they're now in ruins. You see the ruins of Dantooine. Um, you see the ruins of Korriban. So I felt it was a little bit close to, to sort of like that as well, too. Um, when they get there, they, uh, they, they, they have R5 go out and test the air to make sure that it's okay. But uh, R5, you know, gets, uh, you know, lost at the same time. He's abducted by these aliens called the Alamites. Um, so... Din has to go out, rescue him. Uh, eventually, you know, Grogu comes out of the cockpit and he joins uh, Din on their on their journey to try to find uh, the uh, the living waters in the mines of uh, Mandalore. One of the funny things I I, I I did I did hear in this in this episode was the fact of how, how he calls it, um, you know, the, that area where they're heading towards. 
the Civic Center. You know, Bo-Katan said you have to go to the Civic Center uh, in, 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 in that area and you will find your way to the, uh, to the Mines of Mandalore. Anytime I think of uh, Civic Center, I think of close by here or where I grew up in Rhode Island. You know, you saw all of your uh, favorite events, entertainment events at uh, the uh, the Providence Civic Center in Rhode Island. Uh, so, you know, you'd go see, uh, you know, concerts, you go see uh, WWF wrestling, you'd go see uh, anything you could possibly imagine. It's still there. It's, it's, it, it, it was renamed uh, the Dunkin' Donuts Center here in, uh, in, in Providence, Rhode Island. That's where we go to for Rhode Island Comic Con. But I just thought it was such a funny phrase that anytime I hear of Civic Center, I'm thinking about a whole bunch of other things besides this, this Mandalorian ruin. <laughs> uh, they managed to find their way underground. When they are, Actually, I also forgot to mention here, when uh, he's attacked by these Alamites, uh, he takes out the dark saber and he starts wielding it. And you can see the way that he handles the dark saber. It is still quite a chore for him to pick that thing up, to swing it, to defend himself, to attack. Uh, he just is not versed in it. Uh, it's almost, you know, sort of the way that George Lucas, when he was first coming up with this concept of a lightsaber in Episode Four, how he talked about how the the power coming out of the saber is just so incredibly strong. It's so incredibly powerful that he thought that, you know, when you swung the the, 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 the sword, it had to have like this huge weight to it, almost like a big broadsword. Uh, you know, um, you know, not this, you know, not a very light sword or, or something like a fencing, you know, epi, but a really big, heavy sword. And that how it, that's how it looks when uh, Din is there trying to swing it around. Uh, but he ends up defeating those uh, aliens and he continues on his journey. Although, as they are exploring the area, he gets captured by this one-eyed <laughs> creature, which I have no idea what that is. Uh, it, it has, like, feelings of uh, General Grievous, uh, but at the same time, I, I don't know what it is. It seems to be the type of... I mean, we've seen this in some video games, too. If you go back to the, uh, to the Forced uh, Unleashed, you see that, uh, you know, uh, Jedi Master, who also is able to combine himself with uh, different machinery that is able to, to be, like, a... a, a a larger creature than than he is. The the, the Jedi Master in that game is uh, short in stature, but after he attaches himself to all these different mechanical pieces on that planet, he's able to be this big, strong, you know, robotic monster in a sense. Same thing here. This eye keeps going in and out of all these different mechanical, uh, you know, constructions throughout the entire episode, and uh, that's how that's how he's able to, I guess, like uh, defend himself. Uh, he gets captured, or he captures uh, Din, and then Din, as in his like, as he's in that cage, he tells Grogu to go get Bo-Katan. So he goes get Bo-Katan. Uh, you know, it was the fly out of the caves, go back to the ship, get in there with R five D four, and get to uh, get to the moon where uh, where Bo-Katan is. So Bo-Katan sees the ship coming in, and she says, "I'm going to tell this guy once and for all to get off my planet." Uh, but when she, when he, when the ship lands, and she sees that it is only Grogu in the R5 unit, she's she thinks that something uh, has happened to Din, and she has to go and, and help out. Uh, sort of, <laughs> this may sound funny, but you know, sort of like those moments that 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 you would see in those very very old. Uh, Lassie uh, TV shows and movies where Lassie the dog comes up to somebody after the master has been hurt and said no no and, and the dog would start barking and then the the, the human character would be like what what's that you say Lassie oh my god he's been hurt we got to go get a rescue team out to get him thank you Lassie 
I almost felt it was like similar to that, where she's going to be sitting there saying, Groku, what happened? I don't even know your name, but what happened to your father? Uh, she goes on, you know, she, she's able to, you know, they're able to, 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 to work it out by, you know, downloading schematics from, from R5-D4, and they're able to get back to the planet where Grogu ends up being able to lead her to Din, to Din where she eventually uh, rescues him. Um, interesting thing about uh, seeing uh, this rescue of Din Djarin by Bo-Katan is uh, her adaptability to the uh, to the dark saber? She can wield that dark saber with quite, you know, with with, with accuracy and with power, and uh, she's very proficient in 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 using the dark saber. Um, I was wondering whether or not she was going to keep the dark saber there, but I guess because she had to use it in there just to save their lives, they uh, it's not considered like you know hers right now. And you'll see that she puts it down, and that uh, when uh, she rescues. Uh, Din, that uh, as he's putting all his equipment back on, his jetpack and pieces of his armor and other pieces of weaponry on there, he does take the dark saber and he clips it back onto his uh, to his belt. So uh, Bo-Katan doesn't have that uh, in her possession. And honestly, I don't think she's going to take it back into possession unless she wins it in some sort of you know battle. Uh, one of the things I did like, I was just mentioning about Bo-Katan, you know, wielding that uh, dark saber. I love seeing live action Bo-Katan. <laughs> My gosh, it is so much fun seeing uh, her in uh, in that type of uh, you know live action uh, situation. Uh, we've seen Bo-Katan battle out animated in an animated style on the Clone Wars, but it's great to see uh, you know Katie Sackhoff in this in her armor, you know, battling it out there against whatever that creature was that was holding uh, Din Djarin as prisoner. She eventually uh, leads. Uh, Din and Grogu to the living waters uh, and this is like you know the big part of the show where where Din is finally after all this time he's going to be able to go into these living waters and he's going to be able to be redeemed for taking off his helmet according to the armorer once you've dipped in those waters then you are redeemed in as as a child of the watch so um, actually one thing I did want to mention um, she talks about with Din about growing up as a princess of Mandalore and uh, how her father, you know, while they were traditionalists in the sense that with all the ceremonies and all the stuff that comes with being part of the royal house there or being part of whatever royalty there is on Mandalore, um, she said we didn't really believe any of like the... Uh, the superstitious stuff. Did she? Does she believe that the waters are magical and living? No. Does she think there's a thing called a mythosaur? No. Does she think any of this? But she believes in the Mandalorian people, and uh, preserving that. So I thought that was interesting. One thing she did not mention, which I was wondering about, there's no mention of her sister, the late Duchess Satine. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to bring her up again in any sort of context because she was. I mean, she was a big part of that Clone Wars. Uh, series so um, you know before we met uh, Pocatan we we had met uh, the sister Duchess 18 so maybe they'll bring it up maybe they won't I don't know but uh, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm curious to see where they're gonna go with that um, so Din takes off all his like equipment he has his, still his armor on as he's walking into the living waters as he's going to the living waters something pulls him down I don't know if something pulls him down or he slips and he falls but it doesn't take more than a second before Bogatan puts on her helmet and flies into the water to rescue uh, Din. As she's pulling him out, she sees this big eyeball as she's, you know, 
turning her head with her with her headlamp on and she sees there it is there's the mythosaur as in the last part of the episode you see is them flying out of the water onto those steps and looking just totally exhausted from that entire experience so the question here a couple questions here so has din has he been redeemed now that he was in those living waters he has a witness he has grogu and bo katan bo katan is she considered a uh redeemed redeemed in the eyes of the uh the children of the watch i'm curious about that as well too is her thought about mandalorian tradition going to change after seeing the mythosaur and being in the waters with uh with din Djarin and then coming out um a lot of questions. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know is <laughs> is 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 Bo-Katan going to start becoming a follower of the Children of the Watch, just like uh, Din Djarin is? Is she going to forever keep her helmet on? Is she going to join Din? And one other question. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But does anybody get the feeling that there's a little bit of a spark, a little bit of a it's the bits the attraction that uh, Din has for Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan for Din. Um, I'm curious. I, I I would love to see that. Uh, talk about a power couple. Uh, <laughs> two of the most powerful Mandalorians you can imagine uh, coming together, and they're gonna raise. They, and they come together to raise Grogu. Um, speaking of Grogu. Maybe this is me, and I'm sure this has been mentioned on other, on other, other podcasts out there as well, too, because I can't be the only person thinking this. Um, the question being, with this dark, going back to the Darksaber, and who's going to be the the, uh, the one to, to, to bring the Mandalorians together and to maybe restart the glory of, the, of, of Mandalore culture, I'm wondering if the Darksaber is eventually going to fall into the hands of Grogu and that he will be coming full circle to be that once again that Jedi Mandalorian who's going to be wielding the Darksaber and leading the Mandalorians to glory um, like I said it, it, it sounds crazy <laughs> I think but at the same time there has to be a reason why Grogu is here uh, with uh, Din Djarin. Um, I think that his story is still to be played out. I feel that there's going to be some sort of connection that's going to happen um, to this series and to the Ahsoka series. I mean, gosh, we're seeing all over our, our social media here. I just saw Stephen Stanton had posted a picture of uh, from the set of Ahsoka. Uh, nothing nothing from, of, 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 of anything of, of note, except that it was just like the back of the director's chair that said Ahsoka on the back. But regardless of that, I feel that there is going to be, you know, some special connection that's going to be made between, uh, you know, this series, The Mandalorian, and Ahsoka. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. Great episode. I loved it. I thought it hit on a lot of those great Star Wars uh, tropes that, that that I enjoy and that I like. Um it's, it was it was a great episode. I thought the first episode I had mentioned in, in my previous podcast, I thought it was okay. It was okay. It was, to me, it was a little dry. But uh, regardless, uh, this episode, I think, is bringing... I love when they bring all this mythology into it. And I love, you know, especially this concept of these uh, living waters. You know, um, there's so many different... Uh, religious and spiritual communities that see the concept of water as bringing life, which I think is, uh, you know, the fact that it's a very shared belief amongst many, many different 
um, beliefs and, and, and spiritual endeavors. Uh, I, I like that it, that it was that that was an element that was used in uh, in Star Wars, and I think it works really well here uh, for for the story. Um, but anywho, we'll see what happens uh, next week on uh, the Mandalorian. Uh, but those are just some a couple of my thoughts that I had about this episode. Do you have any thoughts about uh, this episode of The Mandalorian? If you do, please send me a message on my Facebook, or I should say the Facebook of the Traveling the Jungle Waste podcast. Go to our Facebook page, send me a message. Let me know what you think of this second episode called The Minds of Mandalore. Hopefully tomorrow I'll have my thoughts about uh, Bad Batch. Uh, a couple other things I just wanted to bring up. You know, I always, you know... I'm really trying my best here to try to to, to bring in again um, this concept of the expanded universe into into the podcast. That's originally what the podcast is is for, and I still enjoy the uh, the, the you know the stories that come out in print, whether it's comics, whether it's the novels, whether it's in the video games. I just you know it, it, you if you if you heard the podcast before, you know that's where my heart is when it comes to Star Wars. So. One series I've been looking at, and then I had just found this up. Talk about me being like in the dark about this. So Dark Horse, Dark Horse has 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 uh, I, I guess a contractor has the agreement with with Disney and, and and Marvel that they can produce some Star Wars comics, like the all ages, uh, you know, uh, content for for Star Wars comics. Um, it's great to see you know the Dark Horse label on a Star Wars comic again because uh, the one I was checking out. This series called Star Wars: The Hyperspace Stories. Um, this is an ongoing all ages uh, series that is going on. Uh, it started in August, but I, I didn't really know about it until just recently. Uh, and the reason I did was because of the covers. I had gone to my local, uh, uh, you know, I went to uh, the Newberry Comics uh, shop here in, in near near here in, in southeastern Massachusetts, and I was looking at the rack, and I was like, oh my gosh. Dark Horse has uh, some some Star Wars comics, and I took a look at it, and it was the covers that got to me. I was like, okay, here's one with uh, you know some battle droids and Obi Wan and Anakin battling. There's another one with Luke and Leia in a nice battle. Another one with Poe and and Finn, and another and a great one of uh, of Chewbacca and Rey on the cover. So the interesting thing about these comics, okay, is that these are going to be. I mean, these are all like one-off type stories for their set time in the timeline. Um, and I think there's scheduled to be 13 issues of the story that's going to run probably through the summertime. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I saw that uh, the first volume, uh, the first four comics are going to be coming out on June 20th as, as a trade paperback. Uh, Hyperspace Stories Volume 1, followed by Hyperspace Stories Volume 2, which is going to be coming out in early September. So I'm assuming that all these comics are going to be um, coming out, um, you know, between you know now and you know through August, I would say, or or July. But the reason I, I picked up these stories is because uh, it's 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 a lot of it's you know one-off uh, adventure, which I think is, is a lot of fun in a comic book. Uh, it reminds me back to those, like I was probably mentioned beforehand on the, on the show, of uh, those uh, Marvel, uh, early Marvel comics, which in some senses were just like, you know, just the adventures of the week. And I always spoke about adventures of the week as, as it pertained to the Bad Batch. But I think in a comic book, it, it, it works out really good because it gives you a little bit of time to just pick up, enjoy, and then put it down. Almost like that pick up and play mode that you can have in like a Battlefront game. You know, you can't, you don't have time to do an entire campaign, but you can't have enough time to be able to do, you know, just a, a, a short mission or have like a quick story to read before you go to bed. 
But one of the things that attracted me to this uh, to this set of comics, and I have the first four issues here that I got. Um, it looks like what they're doing is is they have uh, they're coming out each time with um, two different covers. Uh, you have one cover which is a more I would say, you know, very hardline serious, <laughs> you know, action shot, and then you have something which is uh, more a little bit more fun, a little bit more uh, aimed probably towards. Uh, kids or have a more cartoony feel to it so um, you get like you know for each issue you have two different covers which is nice and it's not like you have to go out and get like you know four or five for those who are real completists and who want to be able to have every cover variation I think there's only uh, two different covers per issue so that that sort of saves you a little bit of money as well too um, I went for more of the hard hardline action shots uh, on these covers, which uh, look really, really, really great. Except for the one for issue four with Chewbacca and Rey, because uh, the one, the, the more cartoony feel uh, cover that I got for that is them swinging on these vines in Kashyyyk, uh, and you see the, the the you know the Kashyyyk in the background, all the the you know coming out of this big huge tree, and they're swinging on these vines. So uh, I went with that, but at the same time, um, I might go and get uh, the uh, the matching, or I should say, the variant covers as well too, for these issues as well too. Like I said, it's only 13 issues long. Um, it's only going through the summer, so it, it would be pretty easy to do. It, is, it doesn't require so much of your time and effort, uh, especially if you're following any of the uh, the normative Star Wars comics coming out from Marvel, the Darth Vader series, Doctor Aphra. Um, those do require a little bit more commitment. Uh, although I am reading and catching up on that uh, Darth Vader, the current Darth Vader series, through trade paperbacks in the library, and I do have to say that it is a fine, fine story being being made out here. In these, uh, it takes place between Empire and Return of the Jedi, so uh, you, you really get to see, you know, what was going on with Darth Vader and the Emperor at the time, and it really opens up your thoughts to when you rewatch again uh, Return of the Jedi. Especially, you should try to find some time to rewatch Return of the Jedi in this uh, 40th anniversary year. Um, gives you something else to think about. Uh, it's it, it opens up your mind to the possibilities of what had happened with uh, Vader in, in those two years or so uh, before he meets a Luke again on uh, on the Death Star. So those are a couple things that uh, a couple comics that I was I was looking at. And uh, have you checked these out? Do you like them? Let me know. Send me a message on the Facebook page as I mentioned before. Uh, one other thing I did want to mention as well too. Uh, Anybody out there collecting these uh, Essential Legends collection covers uh, that have been coming out? Uh, I find it so interesting that you know they came out a couple years ago, um, you know, re reissuing you know very classic expanding universe novels from the old expanding universe with these great new covers, and uh, it, it's part of what they like I said they're 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 branding it as the Essential Legends collection. Um, it seems coming out here, I think in late summer, so probably like mid-August. Uh, we have a couple more books coming out in this line. You have uh, Fatal Alliance from the Old Republic. Great cover on that one. Actually, all got great covers. Outbound Flight by Timothy Zahn. That is a, a another one which goes into sort of like the backstory of uh, what happened that led up to uh, Heir to the Empire. Uh, Survivor's Quest by uh, Timothy Zahn. I like this cover. I think the best of all these new ones because you see Luke in the background, but you got Mara Jade there. Uh, you know, Jedi Mara Jade, which is uh, a lot of fun to see. And then you have Triple uh, Zero. It's book two of that Republic Commando series by Karen Travis. So um, if you're looking to 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 like you know, 
I know a lot of people now are starting to go back and to uh, try to catch up or try to pull in some of those classic expanded universe novels into their collection. Um, you may just want to go and get some of the of these new <laughs> new editions um, to put on your uh, to put on your bookshelf. I know some people really like. I mean, it, it, it's it's sort of like you know you like the paperback maybe because it's small and uh, you're used to the look and maybe you like the art on the cover. Uh, but these these new editions are really 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 nice. Um, I'm probably not going to be getting every single one. I know some are, but uh, I think the Zon ones I might be uh, I might be pulling together for for on my shelf. Uh, just because, you know, hey, we met Timothy Zahn, great guy. Um, it's very simple to get uh, a book by him signed still to this day. So uh, I might be heading in that direction as well, too. Anywho, that is what has been going on here, and that's all my report. This is a bit of a longer coffee break, uh, lunch break podcast than I'm, I'm usually used to. We're hitting about the 30-minute mark in just a couple moments. But uh, like I said, if you have anything you want to, you want to mention about the show, something you heard about, what are your thoughts on this uh, episode of Mandalorian? Comic-wise, what are you reading? Do you have, are you getting on the, uh, the bandwagon for the Essential Legends collection? I would uh, love to know which ones you're collecting and to see which ones uh, are going to be ending up on your shelf. And if you want to see what, by the way, speaking of shelves, I just redid one of the shelves on the official bookshelf of the Traveling Gentleman's podcast. I was able to rearrange some books. This is a more of my the, the shelf that you see. Uh, if you take a look at the, uh, the Facebook page, I posted a picture of this. This shelf has the uh, more of my comic uh, compendiums, or I say Omnibuy, uh, that I have. And uh, I, I, I threw some a, a minibus and a statue of Ray, and we have some some great art there by uh, Rob Taylor from Hero Fight, some of those micro metals which are on my shelf. But I'm also planning on doing my next shelf. On that next shelf, I have there so far my uh, my official Ray lightsaber from uh, the, the, that, that, that great Black Series lightsaber. So I have the hilt on the stand there, but I'm gonna to try to rearrange the books on that shelf, and I have uh, a couple pieces of art I wanna put there as well too. So uh, stay tuned for a picture of that uh, on the official uh, Facebook page of the Traveling Journalist Podcast. So that is all for today. I hope everybody's having a good day, and uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Have a good one, all. Bye.